Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today here in the Morton studio. Okay, we're a little bit excited about this year's crop. I'll admit it. I mean, I know we're not hiding that, but we're talking about plant tissue analysis today. Here's one of the tools on our farm that's really helped us fine-tune that fertility program. And when you think about how many dollars you spend on your fertility program, not just this year, but over your farming career, it's a lot. And understanding what that plant needs and what it doesn't need, what you got plenty of that you may be overdoing it on. That's really, really important, and it can certainly make you a ton of money or save you a ton of money on the farm throughout your farming career. All right, so I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren, and today on the show we are going to be talking a little about plant tissue analysis. If you've got any questions for us, just give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Right now, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, we got a follow-up here. This is from Dean in Wyoming. He was asking about growing hay, brome grass, and orchard grass and wanted to increase production. We asked for soil tests, and Dean sent them. He's got one-acre grids pulled at six-inch depth, and he did these tests in March. So they're very fresh, hot off the press here. What can we do to increase hay production this year? Okay, and I'm super happy that we have these because otherwise, quite frankly, we're just guessing at stuff. So here, here's the first thing to understand. We're talking about relatively heavy soil. On average, you got about 22 cation exchange well, capacity. Well, thank goodness. If you're in Wyoming, you've got to have soil that can hold a little bit of moisture. Right. But here, here are where the problems are at. So when I first look at potassium, that's not too bad. On a lot of them, he's got 350 parts per million, and he's just shy of 4% base saturation K. So knowing with any type of grass hay crop, we're going to pull off a lot of potassium. I mean, I would still want to get some out there. But here's where we run into a lot of the problems. His phosphorus levels are are really low. I mean, like under 10 parts per million. His zinc levels, really low, under a half part per million. Uh, iron, really low, like five parts per million. Copper, really low, well under a part per million. Boron's not terrible, but it's still, for the most part, under a part per million. So we got to think about the leachables, nitrate, sulfate, boron. Those are things that you would every year want to put on a grass crop. But when we start talking about initial seeding of a grass crop, it's a perennial. So we like to put out the immobile nutrients and have enough there for a period of years. And with phosphorus, there's nothing in the soil. With copper, there's virtually nothing in the soil. Zinc, there's nothing in the soil. And potassium, you don't need a lot, but a little bit. So I'm just saying there, there are a lot of needs here. And the problem is when you're in Wyoming and short on moisture from time to time, when the crop figures out, oh, I'm short on phosphorus or I'm short on zinc or short on copper. I mean, some of these nutrients that are desperately needed. What the plant's going to do, even if it doesn't need water, it's going to start pulling water in. So that's the reason why it's even more important for a farmer in a low moisture environment to have an ample amount of nutrients and a balanced amount of nutrients. Because once you have that, now you're not going to force your crop into becoming a water waster. So again, we, we just want to make sure we've got those nutrients out there. So we're in good shape on the nutrient side. And that way the crop only brings water in when it needs water, not because it's needing a whole bunch of nutrients. 
All right. Thanks for that question. Let's head There's to, a lot of page flipping over there. What, yeah. Well, I'll what get it, to that in just a minute. Okay. We've got a caller right now from Southern California. we got Roland on with us. Roland, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. I'm a microscopist here, and I'd like to know if there was any type of analyses that you two might know of that we can use a microscope and help the farming industry in that way. Oh, very interesting. So, okay, talk to us a little bit about what you do, Roland. Okay, so uh, what I do is I identify fungal spores in the soil. So what I do is I, I identify rust, which is a big farming problem, alternaria, stacky, which is more of an indoor problem, but it's any type of fungal spores that may either draw or bring nutrients to the soil. Interesting. And I'd like to know if there's any, yeah, if there's any other types of microscope analyses that you two may know of that I can add to my techniques or repertoire. Very interesting. Okay, how much work do you do with sclerotia? I'm thinking about uh, sclerotinia white mold, and I, I know we, we obviously see some large sclerotia out there, but can you tell the viability of some of those spores by what you're doing? Um, no, actually or a non-viable analysis. And uh, what we do in order to stain them, we use lactophenol blue, which what that does is the phenol in the chemical and the reagent kills the spore. So we're not able to see the viability. But I think based off morphology of the spore, we're able to see whether the spore is the air, uh, uh, you know, uh, like the health of the spore, I should say, you can see that in the morphology versus a broken spore. You can then suggest maybe that one's an older one and not active, but something with hyphae might be a very sporulating spore there. Um, and so I just wanted to know if there was anything else that you two were aware of that I can, you know, add to my bank of different analyses that I know of. Yeah, that that is very interesting work that you're doing, Roland. You know, we've got a couple of side projects that we may want to talk to you about. I'm going to have our sister Janelle is, is uh, taking the call. So I'm going to have her grab your information and we can give you a call um, uh, after the show or, or another time here in the next few days and talk about it just a that little bit further. Good. Hey, thanks a lot, Roland. Really that appreciate you reaching out. Oh, of course. Thank you so much. You guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you know, one of the challenges gets to be how much are we as farmers willing to spend and what are we going to learn? And so the work that he's doing there uh, makes a lot of sense. And we are excited about that type of uh, that type of analysis getting done. It's just obviously for somebody with a, with higher dollar crops on a per acre basis, they can afford those things, look at those things, figure that out better than somebody who's maybe raising corn, soybeans, or wheat. But nevertheless, you, you just, you never know where oh, those things will lead in the future and what, what could be learned. Exactly. That's where it's going to head down the road. Uh, we're talking today uh, about plant tissue analysis, and we'll be right back. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters. 
that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH. Built by farmers. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. A history of success means proven performance, but let's call performance what it is, profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. It won't be long, and we'll be out in crop fields with growing crops in the Midwest. We're really excited about this, and we're talking about plant tissue analysis. Now it can help you fine-tune your nutrient program a little bit, maybe for this year, probably even more so for next year. Got Abe Isaac on with us right now with AgriLiquid to talk about that. Abe, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You know, I think about California and I think about how many different crops are grown there. And oftentimes when we talk about plant tissue analysis, farmers are like, well, I'm interested in doing it, but what parts of the plant do I pull? Is it always the same? And certainly with all the different crops you work with, I'm sure there's a lot of different recommendations on on where to pull tissues and when to do it. Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, and it's and it's really important that when you wherever you pull it, you pull it, continue to pull it from the same location in the field. So that you don't have your results uh, really not meaning anything from one one sample to the next. So that if you're if you're pulling four or five samples throughout the year, uh, making sure that you're out at the same location in that field and pulling that, and so that then you can build up some data points and really uh, fine tune what you're doing and get a good report card of what you're doing to the soil, and uh, and get some results. Absolutely, and, you know. Yeah, I've always thought it would be tricky, too, being in a spot where you're going to grow multiple crops in a year. And how do you fine-tune that program just right when you don't know what yields are going to be going in? And it's one thing where we farm corn and soybeans. Hey, we're just raising one crop this year, and then we got time this fall or next spring to to change things and make adjustments. But, man, when you're pulling a crop out and then planting the next one right away, it's got to be a little tricky. Yeah, but a lot of what we're doing here in California is permanent plantings as well. There's the almonds and pistachios, uh, a lot of cherries and uh, grapes and things like that. So that is something that we can really get a get a data point for several years in the past. But as you're as you're pulling things out, and, and a lot of guys on the row crops are doing uh, two crops. They're doing a winter crop and then they're doing a summer crop as well. So yeah, you're, you've got those rotations, and sometimes you might be growing. Um, cucumbers and then and then in the in the wintertime you might be coming back in with lettuce or something like that so yeah that can be very tough but 
you know, it, it's not your first time out in the rodeo. So you, you've got your history and your experience and that's always probably the most valuable thing you have in making decisions anyway. I think so too. And a lot of times as farmers, we get the rap of, oh, farmers are just looking at whatever happened last year and they're just going to change based on that. I, I disagree. I talk to a lot of farmers that say, you know, this this year is really just like 1994 or this year is like 1978. And, and I, I do find that farmers keep keep fairly decent records. I, I think on the nutrition side, uh, we can certainly get better at that though. How do you encourage growers to do that, to, to make sure they're tracking? You know what? Five years ago here, we were really struggling with this and it's something that we got to keep an eye on. Well, I think that's something that as, as an advisor and as an agronomist, you've got to always have those records at, at your fingertips because so much of it is in agriculture uh, you, you can't look back like that, but you're fighting the, the fire right in front of you and not remembering what happened very often in the past as well as you should. So I, I think that's where you, you're, you're tag teaming together. And, and as an agronomist, you come in there and you do bring in that history and say, remember what happened here, or even relate it back to some other instances that you've been involved with that you can bring in there. So uh, many times growers are, are, on the farm so much they don't really see beyond the horizon to see where what everybody else is doing they just don't have the time and so that's that's one of the perspectives that we as as advisors can come in and bring that and that is what's going on around them and what's happened what's worked well for others perhaps and speaking into that Exactly. Yeah. When you can draw in the the information from, hey, look, I work with quite a few growers of this same crop and here's some timings that are working for us. And here's some of the things that we're on the lookout for. You bet. Having a good advisor is super helpful. We're talking with Abe Isaac yeah. with AgriLiquid uh, works out in the California market. Abe, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate having you on and good luck here going into the spring. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate being here. You bet. Thanks. Let's head out to Wisconsin. We've got Kyle on with us. He farms out there. Kyle, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. We're enjoying uh, some 63-degree weather, nice uh, warm breeze coming up from the southwest, drying things out. Uh, hopefully we can get rolling here uh, a couple weeks early. Outstanding. Yeah, that is a, a nice thing. When you think about what we're trying to do with crops, we're trying to catch sunlight and, and utilize carbon dioxide and, and turn that into growing crops and, and ultimately yield. Uh, when you look at plant tissue analysis, that's our topic today. How does that fit into it in your operation, Kyle? Uh, well, we've been doing tissue analysis now for about eight or nine years. And um, the the first year that we did it, it was really eye-opening. Uh, we were always under the assumption, like many people around this area, that at least on corn, let's say, nitrogen was supposed to be the limiting factor. And a lot of the crops just kept saying more nitrogen, more nitrogen. And it really turned out uh, that was not the case at all. Um, we found out in our, in our area, and I'm sure most of the areas of the nation, uh, sulfur was highly deficient along with uh, some of the other micros um, we had everything else pretty well balanced in um, but uh, we like doing tissue analysis because it really takes into account the weather factor um, the way soil testing does not um, and we do a lot of uh, spraying of micronutrients on beans and we cultivate yet and do two passes of wide drop with our corn. So we like to do it because we have the ability to 
make changes on the fly as we're applying and um, we've really fine-tuned it and not necessarily upped our rates on any uh, fertility dramatically but we've really increased our efficiency on nitrogen especially you know it's interesting that you say that you didn't necessarily have to spend any more money you may have just spent it a little bit differently and i think i have talked to quite a few farmers over the years that say oh man i don't want one more test that i have to take because it might tell me i need to spend more money and we're always nervous about spending money but this that's what it's all about is we want to understand how to spend it in the best way and like you mentioned sulfur and micros kyle I'd say that's a lot of the samples that we see coming in. Those are nutrients that farmers are not focused on as much as NP and K, and oftentimes we're short. Absolutely. Uh, I actually personally think micro or uh, tissue sample is more beneficial to my decision-making process than soil samples. That's me personally. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to get those data points. And like you mentioned, it, it certainly recognizes the weather changes out there and how that crop is responding. What have you seen in terms of yield? You've done eight or nine years of this tissue sampling now. Uh, and certainly everybody would say, well, you know, my yields are coming up a little bit each year. But do you feel like you've had a real positive response from this? I do. Uh, it's not dramatic, but of course, um, at the level that American agriculture is nowadays on corn, soybeans, wheat, et cetera, um, it's, it's really difficult to find one particular golden bullet that right. Um, right. is going to make huge differences nowadays. Nowadays, we got to be focusing on, you know, what's going to give us another 5% or 10%. There's no uh, silver bullets that's going to give you 20 30 40% anymore. Um, you just got to hone your skills and refine your techniques and just squeeze the efficiency where you can. And that's what we've found. And yeah, uh, tissue sampling is another tool in our toolbox that definitely helps do that. Yeah, this is this is great, Kyle. I really appreciate what you're saying here, that there there aren't these big 100 bushel yield changes coming. It's it's the two bushel and the five bushel here and there that as we, we learn these lessons and make some changes on a farm, because once you learned, hey, it isn't nitrogen, it's sulfur and it's micros, for example, you can focus on them every year and you're going to gain for the rest of your farming career. For sure. And it's amazing, at least in our geography here, uh, central Wisconsin, there's very, very few people that actually are doing tissue analysis. And, uh, you know, I, I speak with a lot of neighboring farmers, you know, older guys, et cetera, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I say we do tissue sampling. They're like, you do what? <laughs> you know, what is yes. What? You're, you're way ahead yeah. of the way ahead of the curve on it. No doubt about that, Kyle. Hey, Kyle, we got to run. Like but to get our neighbors talking. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's great talking to you here. Good luck. I'm glad you're going to be out in the field a little early this year. Hopefully that gives you a shot to, to bring home your best yields ever. Thanks for, thanks for the call. Really appreciate it, Kyle. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near-zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. 
With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plug nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at Pentair.com slash Hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Credit Extreme, the herbicide with dual salt technology that makes all the difference. Faster uptake, quicker rain fastness, and better control in variable weather, something we've all had our fair share of. When you need more powerful weed control for challenges like lamb's quarters and velvet leaf, with excellent safety to round up ready crops, you need Credit Extreme. New Farm and Credit Extreme, here to help. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking about plant tissue analysis, something that has definitely helped our farm. We're going to jump back to the phone lines right now. we got J.J. calling in from Missouri. J.J., how's it going today? Well, pretty good. We're kind of getting a little cloudy here. We're kind of waiting for spring. Uh, interesting in this tissue test. I've done these things, God, for 40 years, I guess. Uh, we know that if the soil is too wet or too dry, we don't get the uptake. Uh, if it's cold and wet, like it is right out here right now, you don't get the uptake. There's some people are promoting to go out every Monday morning at 7 o'clock and taking a tissue test. And I'm kind of losing faith in the thing, uh, going back over the experiences we've had. Uh, one jumped out at us, really, really hit us smacked in the face two years ago. We have uh, a high... Uh, soil test would show high mag in our and in, uh, in the soil test, and our tissue test would show deficient. I'm wondering if there's a way to get around this. I'm I'm starting to lose faith in in the tissue test. And you guys are doing this recently, what ten years or something like that. What are you seeing? What what are you doing? Sure. Yeah, we've 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 done it for about twenty years now, and here here's one of the things. 
in talking to Neil Kinsey. We've had him on the show a few times. He's one of the world's leading experts in terms of soil fertility. So we went through the same question with him about magnesium. And we said, all right, Neil, how could this possibly be? Because we got 20% magnesium in the soil. I mean, it's crazy number of pounds, yet we have deficiency. And he said, well, that's just the way it is because of this calcium magnesium thing. And he said, in your heavy soils, if you don't get that magnesium down to around, and it all depends on who's running the test, somewhere in the 10 to 14% range, he said, you're going to find that. He said, I know it seems weird. And I don't know, Darren, did he even give us an exact explanation of why it happens in the plant? I don't remember if he did. If he did, I don't remember. But all I know is this. He said, I know it sounds crazy, but if you get your magnesium down in the soil, you will find more in the plant tissue. So it's one of the things we've been working on on our farm to try to do that but we just haven't found it to be very cost effective. And here's the here's the thing that we would encourage everybody to do. What I care more about than plant tissue tests individually is what I is I care about the correlation of either plant tissue tests or soil tests to yield. And so what I'm what I'm trying to say here is JJ, even though we haven't found that we're at what they call sufficient in the plant with that magnesium, we haven't found that having our magnesium levels at different ranges in that, let's call it 10% to 20% range, has had that big of an impact on yield overall. Because we're taking now thousands of grid points of soil test data and comparing them to yield. And that's what I care most about. So then I can see, oh, hey, more boron meant more yield. More potassium meant more yield or whatever. Less of something else meant more yield. That's what I care most about. So, I mean, for years we've talked about, all right, they'll they'll tell you sufficient or high or low on the tissue test, but sufficient to what? High to what? And what we found is with the plant tissue labs, they... I don't know anybody else who does it different than this, but every lab we've talked to so far has said they here's how they tell you sufficient. They just take the average of all the tests that have been sent in and they call that sufficient. Well, that that's not necessarily sufficient. If I'm going for 300 bushel corn, it's a heck of a lot different than if I'm going for 100 bushel corn. So I what I, where I'm going with all, and I know I've given you this enormously huge explanation, but on your magnesium question specifically, we think you need to get the magnesium levels down a little bit in the soil or put it another way, get your potassium and, and calcium levels up a little bit and that will change what's going into that plant. But the second thing is we don't know just because it says your tissue test is low, that that's necessarily hurting yield. Okay, I, I fully understand we follow what you're what you're talking about. We've experienced what you're talking about. The thing here on Claypan Soil in Central Missouri, we live and die on a weather forecast. I mean, we yep. we go for two weeks without some rain, and we in deep deep doo doo. Um, it's very interesting that you guys are seeing the same things in the Dakotas that we have down here. But uh, it ain't, I picked on mag, mag, manganese, magnesium here, but the other nutrients we're seeing the same thing, uh, and it just bounces around so much. Yep. We can we can probably change these magnesium levels, maybe get them maybe we're, we're with that ratio. But all of a sudden, 
the next year we got the, we got the next problem of a, of a rain misses or something like that. So I'm just interested to see what what you guys are seeing the same thing we were seeing. And uh, yeah, and, uh, okay, sounds like you are. Yeah. Now, as you bring that up, rainfall for you and for us is a huge deal. Uh, I, I was just saying, I think on the show yesterday, since July 6th, we've had a grand total of maybe seven inches of rain. It might be eight now, but I mean, so what I'm saying is in eight months, we've had eight inches of rain or less. So that's not much. That's not much. And anyway, when we look at a lot of nutrients out there, when you get a rain, then the plant has more ability to bring nutrients in because now more nutrients are solubilized in the soil. They're in soil solution. Let's put it that way. And it's easier for them to get into the plant. So in doing tissue analysis every week, and you brought up something 7 a.m. every Monday morning, we actually say 8 a.m. every Monday morning on our farm because we have found that time of day does make a little bit of difference. We did a study. This is actually it's 10 years ago now. Man, I'm getting old. Uh, Anyway, 10 years ago, we did a study. All different times of day every two hours over the course of the day and we did this in multiple fields and what we found is like potassium those levels go up during the day Uh, with phosphorus levels those go down just slightly but not a lot Uh, let's see I got the numbers right here Uh, boron goes down as you go during the day zinc goes down just a little bit as you go during the day So we're not as concerned about that as we are. We just want to have a baseline and see how we're progressing from week to week. And so we we want to go, our our plan is go early every morning. So at least we've got that time of day thing consistent. But then the problem is when you have those big rain events, we'll find that all of a sudden, like all our levels will go up in the plant. Okay, so that throws you off a little bit. And that's the reason why we tell people, hey, do it every week for like eight to 12 weeks over the course of the growing season. I'd way rather have you do fewer spots, but do it for more weeks because now that takes out some of that. Because you'll see, oh, there's a spike in one particular week. Well, sure, because we had a great big rain. But over the course of the entire year, how are we doing? Are we high? Are we low? Where are we at? and is there correlation to yield? And so the other thing that I brought up quite often is with potassium. That's the biggest one that we have an issue with here in our state. And I I think about this even when I go back to college, uh, my college years a long time ago, they would say, oh, we've got plenty of potassium in the soil. We do, but it's in the form of a rock. It doesn't come available quickly. So for years, we as South Dakota farmers were told, don't add potassium to your soil. Well, that was terrible advice. And so we got all kinds of farmers here that are totally deficient in potassium. So anyway, my, my point is when I'm in South Dakota and I get very little rain versus let's say I'm in Illinois and I get double the amount of rainfall and it's just much more consistent, we feel like we can get by with less potassium in Illinois than we can in South Dakota. And here's why. Because when we don't get very much rain, there's only going to be a small percentage of what we have for nutrients in the soil in soil solution. In Illinois, there will be a bigger percentage because they have more rain more consistently. So if we have a nutrient like potassium, then in our soils is never going to leach out. We have heavy soils. We're frozen five months out of the year. It's never leaching out. There's no point in shorting yourself on potassium because it's going to stay there. As long as you own that ground, you're going to get to mine it out of that ground sometime eventually. But you have to get your percentage up. So that's why we talk so much about base saturation potassium levels that we want 4 to 8%. 
And some people will be like, well, I got 200 plus bushel corn and I'm mine were only at two. I'm like, well, yeah, you did. You lucked out, number one. But number two, even if you did get the yield, how was your stock quality? We got to have both yield and stock quality because some year you're going to have a wind come along, just like the Derecho in Iowa last year, the year before it happened in South Dakota. Well, if you've got your K levels up to six or seven percent, that you're much more tolerant to those winds. So anyway, yeah, I could go on all day about that, but we, we're oh, totally with you, JJ. Uh, I, you oh. know, it, it does bounce around in that plant tissue, and so that's why we also use soil tests, but we're using them both, and it generally helps having both points of data. Fully, fully understand what you're saying all the way through here from every word. Uh, one, one question I have and a comment is, are you seeing this in consistent year to year to year where this was sure. bouncing around? That's it. And, and I'll tell you what, that's a great question, JJ. We'll get to more of that right after this. Just hang on for us. We'll be right back. High-yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed-to-soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Step it up this season. Do more than just keep your soybean fields clean with Authority Supreme or Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. Walk those clean fields with pride and enter for your chance to win a $500 Cabela's gift card. 
Learn more and enter for your chance to win at stepitupwithfmc.com. Always read and follow label directions for use. Void where prohibited. Must be a legal U.S. resident and age of majority in your state to enter. See official rules for terms and conditions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty. Along with my brother Darren, we're live in the Morton studio right before the break. Well, actually, the entire last segment, we were talking to JJ from down in Missouri about plant tissue analysis, and he had another question for us or two. Uh, yeah. J- JJ, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, we had to go to break there. Yeah. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Appreciate your taking time for me. One final thing on this base saturation of, of, of potash. Yes. We have fields that we've thrown tons of potash at for 40 years. We haven't moved our potash base saturation at all. It stays down that 2% level. I'm wondering if, uh, if it can be done. What do you mean by tons? How many pounds exactly have you been applying? We've been throwing from 100 to 150 pounds of, of, of potash on every year, uh, whether it's corn, beans, or wheat. Uh, we've been trying trying. to we, we know we got to have the potash there to keep these, these, these veins open in, in, this, in this corn plant so that the rest of the nutrients right. can get up to that ear. But we, we just haven't been able to get these potash numbers up higher than when above 2%. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'll be honest. Um, I, I just feel like what you've put out at 100 or 150 pounds is just really low. You, what, what's your cation exchange capacity? Do you know? Is it 20? It's, you said heavy clay uh, soil, right? No, we've, we've got, we've got some, some gumbo soils in the river bottom down into the low thirties, but most of them will run uh, 16 to 20. <laughs> Yeah, 16 to 20. Okay, so we've got a lot of the same kind of stuff. And at at 100, 100 to 150 pounds of potash, you're only getting 60 to 90 units of K2O potassium. That's it. So, And if we look at actual K, it's only 50 to 75 units of actual K. Not K2O, but K. So my point is, if you've been getting halfway decent yields, you've been removing all that. So when we want to build, a lot of times on our farm, we're putting on 500 to 700 pounds, um, and we might do that mm, two out of three years or something like that, and then we'll go from two to four or two to six or whatever. So it just it takes a lot of pounds, unfortunately, um, just in these in these soils that are 16 to 20 CEC. If you are at six CEC or eight or something like these guys that have sand, then you have to worry about losing it. Number one and number two, your ratios are going to be different because your soil won't hold much magnesium. It won't hold much potassium or calcium or anything. So it doesn't take much to change that soil. So I would just say, absolutely, it's possible to change it. We've done it. We've had farmers do it all over the United States and Canada and and really around the world. So we've, we've worked with thousands of people who have done it. Um, it, it's just it takes more pounds. And if you want, if you oh. want to send us your soil tests, I could tell you how many pounds it would take if you were to do it in one application or spread over a period of time. But it, it just it takes a lot of pounds. May may do that. You're not too worried with those high rates of, of, uh, of potash yields. You're going to, your salt's going to cause you a problem. We've gone as high as fourteen hundred pounds of potash. Haven't hurt yield at all. 
side by side, hasn't hurt anything. Yes. Now, I'm not suggesting you do that or anybody does that. We do a lot of stuff here, JJ, just because we want to go over the top and find out what does it take to kill something? What what does it take to go so far that it would hurt? Right. We want to try to hurt things. So we we have that experience. So we know where that line is at. And we we haven't found it. Okay, here's how much we could do. And we haven't found it yet. So I'm not saying that potash at some level couldn't hurt any farmer. But would I be worried about doubling the rates that you're talking about or tripling? I wouldn't worry about that for one second. Okay, I'll throw my salt and pepper shaker away then and trash it. <laughs> Seriously, though, if you thanks, send us your soil thanks, test, thanks. I, c- I could give you a little bit better, more quantifiable advice. Thank you, guys. You Appreciate bet. your time. You bet. Thanks, JJ. Bet. Thank you. Yes. Uh, JJ a couple times said, you know, thanks for the time and everything and listening to my questions. And I'm like, well, I love this stuff. I talk about this all day. This is literally what Darren and I do. We are agronomists and our job is to help farmers not just get more yield, but it's to make more money. Because let's face it, if you don't make money, you're not going to stay in business. And what good did that yield do you? What good does your soil do you or your job or anything else if you can't stay in business? So the other side of this is we often talk about, okay, our three goals are always more yield, more profit. But then the third thing, we're trying to leave the land, the environment in better shape for the next generation. And you might say, well, you're just putting on a whole bunch more fertilizer. Yeah, but that helps because the thing is, if we can identify what's the yield limiting factor, okay, that's going to help us on yield and it's going to help us on profitability. But then the other side of this is, let's not think about it as the yield limiting factor. Let's think about it as the soil health limiting factor. When it's the soil health limiting factor, Okay, well, now maybe you're starting to understand why this is a big deal for the land, for the environment, for everything else. And we know for a fact when plants have more roots, there will be more microbial life in that soil. Everything comes alive. There's the better chance. And okay, so let's turn this to the uh, the carbon thing. Everybody's talking about carbon credits and you know the the air quality and all this stuff and the ozone layer and uh, greenhouse gases. If we raise more crop, you know what we do? We sequester more carbon. We pull out the worst greenhouse gas, which is carbon dioxide. Because never forget, that's what plants breathe. So if you produce more plants, the plants breathe it in more. And what do they kick out more? Oxygen, which is great for all of us. So the better job we do as farmers, and in some cases, it's literally just the thing that JJ and I were just talking about. Hey, all we need is a little bit more potassium and it's going to solve some problems. And now we literally pull more carbon dioxide out of the air. We put more oxygen into the air. We make our soil healthier. I mean, it's just good all the way around. So that's one of the things that we are super passionate about here and why we love what we get to do every day. All right. Uh, Thanks for the call, JJ. We really appreciate that. Uh, Got this from Jason up in Alberta. He said, I wanted to share with you guys the Alberta Crop Insurance Yield Book with 2019 yield numbers. We farm in Area 21, by the way. Uh, 
I did think it was pretty interesting. Thanks, Jason, by the way, for sending that. Just looking at where yields are at and also just some of the different things that they were talking about there in terms of rainfall and temperature and how it varies throughout the area. I also thought one thing that was interesting is uh, taking insurance on bee survival rates. Hmm. And that that was kind of different. I guess I hadn't thought about that. Now, we aren't aren't, uh, using crops that that we've got bees around all the time or anything like that, but but uh, thought it was kind of interesting. Oh, and, you know, that's another thing that I didn't even realize until I started listening to some beekeepers who were telling me, yeah, we're, our bee numbers are actually going up, but they aren't going down anymore. And the number one issue that we've got, at least in much of the United States, is mites. It's not uh, pesticides. Now, Grant, I'm not saying pesticides couldn't cause a problem. I'm not saying there aren't other issues, but it, it's just been interesting for us talking to certain beekeepers. I mean, whenever you talk to people in the industry that are actually doing it every day, you're always going to learn more. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Jason. We appreciate that. Get this from FPF. Uh, I'm usually studying much smaller scale vegetable farming than what you guys are doing, but I do enjoy your content. You were talking about discs and how they can cause a hard pan. We've been using discs for alternative tillage or minimal tillage on quite small vegetable production. I've always wondered about the compaction factor with that. That was a good piece of information. Hey, thanks, FPF. Uh, Yeah, we do want to be cautious about creating compaction with anything that we're doing out in the field. Yes, there's a pro to running that disc out there and handling residue and and doing some of the things that you need to do with tillage, but you have to look at the downside as well and, and analyze that. All right, got this one from John. He said, I'm not sure uh, uh, if you guys are interested in this type of question, but I'll give it a try. Can you recommend a book or two on the breakdown of all minerals and important elements that are in soil and the importance for different crops uh, at what levels they should be at, for example, for garden vegetables to growing corn, soybeans, and wheat on a regular farm? I love your show. Don't always... Don't always catch it, but really appreciate the information. Hey, John, thank you. Really appreciate that. We recommend Neil Kinsey's book, Hands-On Agronomy. It's probably the best one that we've read on this subject, and it is not um, just for corn or soybeans. It's for any kind of soil that you're growing a crop in. So I would start with Hands-On Agronomy by Neil Kinsey. That would be a, a great great reference for you. Thanks for the question and thanks for checking out our program too. We appreciate that. We'll get back with more of your calls and agronomic questions right after this. Stay tuned. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Wherever you go. 
whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment. Great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct Next-Gen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time here in the Morton studio, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. It's exactly what Josh did from Illinois, and Josh said, uh, earlier this month, you rambled off an equation to figure out the base saturation of K. Uh, I listened, wrote it down, ran the numbers, and and it didn't quite work out. Uh, just wondering if you could go through that one more time. Yeah, Darren was just saying we need to put that on our website, and we should. The problem is you've got to have some information. You need to know what the cation exchange capacity number is, and then you need to know your part per million numbers for K, magnesium, calcium, and sodium. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to figure this out. But, yeah, it's it, and it, in, it also involves the atomic weight pervalence times 10 and i mean it, it just it's a little bit complicated so if you need to figure that out we'll try posting that on our website here real soon and we can send um send a direct response in this particular case okay thank you very much uh got an email from steve down in kansas he said could you guys provide some advice on soybean fertility and he's got a few things here he said uh he's going to use a 30 foot drill no liquid He's got a seven and a half inch spacing, and he's normally putting on 140,000, let's see, 61 pounds per acre. And so, gosh, basically, probably like well, 170,000 seeds per okay, acre. So, so I thought this was a fertility question. Yep, yep, yep. He's, okay. just, he's just giving you the background here. Okay. And he's he's curious about nitrogen. He's talking about could I use anhydrous? My CEC is 21. Soil pH is 5.8 to 6.7. Should I use a blend of dry, 
should I just spray some liquid 28 pre or post? What, what would you do? Okay. Review. You said 21 can exchange capacity. Yes. What crop did you say? Soybeans. That's what I thought. Why are we putting nitrogen out there? Yeah. I, I think you'd be more commonly looking at a blend of NP and K perhaps with the focus on P and K. Okay. Well, let's see. Uh, and he never said his yield here, right? All right, so let's talk real quick about that. Nitrogen on soybeans, not a, we're not big believers in a lot of cases. I'm not saying in all cases, but in a lot of cases. Here's what we found over the years. Unless you've had, let's call it lots of flooding, so literally you've killed all the bacteria in your soil, or you have really high yield goals, or like I'm talking 80 plus, or you have really light sand, low organic matter, that kind of thing. So you're, the point is, if you're going to get a bunch of nitrogen out of your soil already, we know that like in our region of the United States, okay, so we're, we farm in South Dakota, we can get roughly 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen for every 1% of organic matter. On our farm, a lot of our fields now are at 4% organic matter. So that means 80 to 120 pounds we're going to get for free. So we got that. Next thing, we got to look at how much is carry-in nitrogen. Very often for us, it's in the range of 10 to 50 pounds carried in. And then on top of that, we got to say, all right, what is that soybean plant able to produce on its own? Oh, and then we can't forget, usually farmers are putting out MAP or DAP as their phosphorus source. Well, there's some nitrogen in that. So don't forget about any of those little things. Okay, so by the time we get all done, we just we've run nitrogen trials many different years. Sometimes it pays. Most of the time it doesn't unless we've got some of those factors that I already talked about. So, uh, personally, I would just say if you need if you feel like you need more nitrogen, just put out whatever, you know, fertilizer you're going to normally like your MAP or DAP. You get a little bit of nitrogen there and then you follow with some later at Side dress time, I'll call it first flower, uh, you know, full flower, something like that. Oh, sorry, there was one other case where we have seen it pay with nitrogen. And our dad actually did this when he first came to South Dakota. He put anhydrous ammonia out, and he found that about 100 pounds an acre was good in soils that hadn't had soybeans before. Okay, so in that particular case, it's kind of like where I said you have no bacteria in the soil from flooding or, you know, there's some issue why all your bacteria, your rhizobia bacteria in the soil died. So in that case, yes, we're fine with throwing 100 pounds out early. It could be anhydrous. It could be urea. It could be 28. We don't really care. We do like ammonium sulfate as kind of a slow release, not just for the nitrogen, but also the sulfur portion too. So ammonium sulfate would probably be our preference, but we're fine with almost any form if you are in that situation. All right. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Uh, get this question from Mitch down in North Carolina. He said, I got a CEC of somewhere between four and seven, and I've got a question for you about lime. We had put on lime back in 2018. Uh, this would be the soil samples on the second page. For some reason, they are now recommending I put more lime on. I had put two and a half to three tons of powdered lime back then. Now they want me to put another 1.3 to 1.4 tons out there. Just wonder if you would recommend that. Mm -hmm. I think that would be still positive. I'm in the process of getting these fields in better condition. Some are rental fields that weren't taken good care of. I'm trying to build them back up. A lot of times 
limes, we're going to talk about three years. It's going to take three years for that lime to fully break down. Now, it also could take longer if you are in the situation we are where we're really cold and lack of moisture. Or it could happen faster if, let's say, you had lots of rainfall, lots of heat, and a really fine material that you're using. Our concern here to not putting any more on would be you're still really low. There's one test here that's 4.9. You got a bunch that are, you know, in the low fives even. So to add a little bit more, I don't know that I've got a big problem with it, even though it would be a little on the early side for us. Uh, where'd you say he was from? North Carolina. That's what I thought. So when I think about North Carolina, I think about a climate that is much hotter than ours, much more rainfall than ours. So personally, yes, I would probably tell you throw a little bit more lime out. Wouldn't you say, Darren? Well, it looks like it to me that that might be part of the solution on that ground. Do you see yep. some other things there that would be really important to, to add? Oh, sorry, I didn't really uh, go through anything else. No, I just looked at some of the pHs were as low as 4 or 9 to, to low 5s. That, that to me, says you're going to need some lime. It's just on that light a soil, it shouldn't take that much lime to no. really get things moving. No, but he's only talking a little over a ton of added lime, so it's not like an enormous expense. But it's really light soil. You know, when you're talking four to six CEC, it's not going to hold a lot of nutrients. So in that type of soil, if we're talking separate from this pH conversation, yeah, we're going to say, you know, you've got to apply nitrogen, sulfur, and boron multiple times per year. Plus, but I'd probably do potassium at least two times per year as well, because in a soil that light with that warm a condition and that, uh, that much rainfall, you're going to lose your potassium to some degree as well. So some nutrients don't move a whole lot like phosphorus. And I, I, I think this is, yeah, let's see. I, yeah. I got parts from, I, I, had to, I, I've never seen a test from this lab before, so I didn't know what I was looking at here. Yeah, it's just always a, a challenge. We get, we get so many but different labs that come through. It looks like his phosphorus levels are pretty good. So, I mean, that doesn't seem to be the real problem. Phosphorus and zinc look Decent, really. So our, our main concern here is those leachables. All right. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that, Mitch. If there's anything else we can help with, just let us know. Get this from Tyson. He said, you guys talk about herbicides and human safety. I'm wondering why is Paraquat still on the market since it takes very, very little to actually kill you? Well, I would ask, why is gasoline still legal everywhere when we have a very healthy replacement called ethanol. It's the exact same conversation. Gasoline and Paraquat are about the same for danger. So with Paraquat, the reason why it's still on the market is because it is used and it's needed by some people in the ag industry. But everybody's going to more restricted, well, the manufacturers of Paraquat are going to more restrictive labeling, closed handling system, all that kind of thing to try to make it even safer for people. But we don't do that for gasoline. I mean, why don't we have a closed handling system for gasoline? Like I say, it's just as dangerous as Paraquat. People have health issues all the time because of gasoline. It's got proven cancer causers in there. It's horrible for people, horrible for the environment, yet it's legal. And we don't even think about it. And a lot of people will go pump their gas. Then they go grab a donut uh, in the gas station and don't wash their hands or anything. It's like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? 
So I don't understand why we even allow that. Why do we not have 100% ethanol out there? I, I don't know. Cheaper, way better for the environment, way better for our country, way safer for human beings. I don't get why we aren't promoting biofuels everywhere and banning gasoline, and I'm dead serious. And certainly farmers can make other choices than using Paraquat. They can use fast burners like Sharpen, for example, or AIM if they want safer products to work with. Hey, thanks for the feedback, Tyson. We appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.